Blog Talk Radio. Solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in leadership. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So welcome back, everyone. I hope uh, for all of our educators out there that might have tuned in right here, right at lunchtime, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, For those of you who uh, are, this is your first time, welcome to our community of listeners. Uh, today, I'm excited, as usual, to uh, have a special guest with me, um, and um, she is the principal of Minneapolis North High School, uh, but actually, the way I found out about her is not just her work um, as a principal um, at Minneapolis North, it's actually her work at the Lucy Craft Community School in um, in uh, Minneapolis, and so welcome uh, and a hearty welcome to um, Mari uh, Friesleben. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. It's an honor to be here. Well, the honor is mine, and um, as I told you before we got started, uh, I'm I'm so you know I, I almost feel like I know you. Uh, for those of you who mm. don't know, there's a documentary. Uh, that I've actually posted a link to, if you belong to LinkedIn, LinkedIn and you are connected to me, I've posted a, um, a, a link to that documentary uh, that highlights some of the work uh, uh, that Mari has been engaged in um, at, in, in the community of Minneapolis North, um, a, high, mm-hmm. um, a high population of uh, African-American students. I think the last I saw, 90% African-American and also 90% poverty um, was what I, the statistics that I saw from the school you used to lead. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I guess I, what I want to start with, um, I know that you also um, belong with a group of principals in Minneapolis called the Good Trouble Principals. Love it. Um, I want to yes. go, I want to, before we even get to that, I want to go mm-hmm. and talk a little bit and, and just hear, because I heard so much from you, and I'm sure um, people who are listening in are going to go and, and watch that documentary, but um, I just want to mm-hmm. know um, a little bit about, so the school that you used to lead was a community school, and community in every sense of the word from what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, just mm-hmm. tell me, how did you come from a leadership perspective to, to gain that kind of perspective on who you should be as a leader? Uh, did it, was it because you were from the community? Or mm-hmm. what actually helped you to, to uh, decide that this is who I need to be in order, in order to help? Well, it was because I was I was from, but I also felt like I was called to, um, and so it, it was both. And I'm I'm struck every day by 
how critical it is to feel like a deep conviction in this mm-hmm. work um, because it's, it's that conviction that, that causes us to go back every day. Um, it's that desire to want to be on the right side of history later. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of educators out there that can attest to this as well, but, you know, sometimes when you're sitting in, in, in dire straits with a student, um, whether it's an elementary, middle, or high school student, Sometimes when I'm sitting in this office right now, I'm in my office, I'm in the principal's mm-hmm. office, mm-hmm. and I'm and I'm sitting with a student. I need them to be future-minded. And so sometimes I'll say, you know what, before we have our conversation that we need to have, can I just ask you, like, where are you going to be 10 years from now? You're going to be so fly. You're going to be so successful. Mm-hmm. You're going to pull up to this school in that cute little car. And you're going to get out with your fly clothes and your degree, maybe multiple degrees, and you're going to be here for alumni day. Because as soon as you start having that conversation about where you will be in the future, it allows you to be grounded in the present and not be rocked. And so I think for me, yes, I, 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 I was a child just blocks away from the school that I was later um, assigned to be an administrator at, but I also felt called and convicted to be there. And I knew that when my life was in its twilight years and I was looking back, I wanted to be proud of the decisions that I made. And I wanted to say that I took the road less traveled. And I wanted to say that even when the road was narrow, I stayed on it. And so, you know, I got, I got to that school. I changed a lot while I was there. Um, I'd been a teacher for years, um, did some other, you know, kind of central office work, some teacher leadership work, didn't really go into life to be a principal at all, didn't even really go into be a teacher, but it, it was just the, the path was laid out for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, I, I felt called. And so I followed people that I trusted. I listened to the advice of elders and leaders in my community and I went the direction that, that, they, that they called me to and pushed and prodded me into. When I was there, um, so we do have, you know, just like any district, we have all of our buzzwords that mean certain things. Mm-hmm. We, Lucy Craft Laney um, is called a community school, meaning, you know, we're not a magnet. We didn't have a special programming. Um, you know, you just come from the community, and that's the school that you go to. And yet when I first arrived, there was, a, there was a lot of work that needed to be done in order for the community to love the school and, and, and feel invested in and, and feel like this is our school. We, we, we own this school. We, we believe in and belong to this school. And that was the heavy lifting that needed to happen. And the documentary captured a lot of the after work um, that you can see that came in after the pre-work. But mm-hmm. it was it was a, a beautiful experience to be had. Yes, yes, and I I mean it it they did a great job of I think especially capturing what um, what how the teachers felt, which I I was you know struck. I mean often we we see that there's a leader such as yourself that is behind a great deal of the the change and the 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 mm-hmm. feel good in the school, and so great leaders. Um, are are often present, and then, but mm-hmm. just to see how your teachers 
um, were mm-hmm. were so committed. I, 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 there's one part of the documentary where the teachers are going door to door in groups and knocking on doors and just kind of saying, um, you know, next week school starts, don't forget. And they knew yep. the kids. They knew the kids. Yep. And so I guess for me, my first question is, how did you get the teachers to buy in? the way that they did yeah. to be able to, to want and feel like they could, um, they would give their time a week, at least a week in advance. They're walking around and knocking on yeah. doors, but, but also in the school preparing. I saw teachers, um, you know, doing windows and other kinds of, it was just yeah. amazing. But how did you get the teachers to yeah. buy in like that? Well, and I would say too, Brian, I mean, for those of you that are not familiar with Minneapolis or Minnesota, um, you know, we Minnesota is one of the first charter school states, that, and, and we have a pretty rich history of non-public where, you know, Lucy Laney was a public school. Uh, the North High that I'm at right now is a public school. I belong to Minneapolis Public Schools Organization. But we, we kind of have a history of, you know, the people that are, the educators that are hitting the streets are and recruiting or, or working hard to retain our students, unfortunately, there's a stereotype in our district that that's the charter schools or that's the private schools and that we as the public schools just kind of wait for our kids to show up. Now, that's not necessarily true for every single one of us, but that's the stereotype. And so it was so critical to break that. Um, and, and so we did that there at Lucy Laney. They continue to do it to this day. We do it here at North High. This is my third year at North High. And we um, and we will we we have reaped huge benefits. But Here's how, so this is my, my MO, my modus operandi with, mm-hmm. with teachers. It was very similar with students when I was a teacher. I will walk through fire for you because I know you will walk through fire for me. That's it. It's not rocket science. I, when I was a teacher, I wanted to be the kind of teacher that I always wanted as a student. And when I was became a principal, I wanted to be the kind of principal I always wanted as a teacher, just a fighter for you, an advocate that I'm going to push you to be the absolute best that you can possibly be, but I am going to be your biggest cheerleader on the sidelines at the same time. I'm going to hold everybody mutually accountable. We're going to have collective agreement. Um, we're a family, and it worked for me in the classroom, and it's worked for me in the principalship. Right, right. Well, I mean, and you're you're not a charter school, right? So, no, um, you know, you you are a school that operated in with within kind of the boundaries of of all kinds of collective bargaining agreements within you know mm-hmm. um, um, kind of you know district level oversight, and you yep. know, so some of the things that a lot of people say you can't do, I see you doing. And so, and Absolutely. that you did, and, and my, you did. And that's my goal, um, is I want to prove that it can be done. Um, but I also want to say that some of the stuff that, like, traditionally we're supposed to be doing is dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. wait, what? <laughs> it's workshop week. We're getting ready to open the doors in two weeks, and we, you want us to do what? Mm-hmm. No, we're not doing yeah. that, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah. You know, just saying, looking at my staff and just saying, okay, look, here's the deal. I don't, I, I don't know that that's going to give us, that's not going to give us a return on our investment. So here's mm-hmm. what I need you guys to do. I need you guys to read the material ahead of time. I need you guys to knock the ball out of the park. 
If anybody comes in here and says, are we implementing this or executing that or adopting that? Yep, we sure are. Here's evidence of it. But we're not going to spend half a day doing this. Right. We're going to sure. go out, hit the pavement, knock on doors, tell our kids we love them, tell our families we can't wait to see you, you know, wear our shirts, let our community see us. We're going to put gas on our cars at the gas station. We're going to stop at the grocery stores that our kids go to and grab flour or oil or whatever it is that that thing that you needed. And that's how we're going to spend our time. So I also, I look at what is already expected of us. I see how we can meet or exceed those expectations, but also how can I modify and modify and adapt it to exercises and activities that I know will feed my staff and my Mm -hmm. students will feed their souls. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Now I know that it's not always easy uh, because there are times when there are people that don't want to be on board, and there are also mm-hmm. people um, in supervisory roles that always don't see it that way. Um, how, how do you get like? How do you deal with those? So, I well, I would first say, not always very well when mm-hmm. it's above me. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with that, Brian, and and mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm just going to be honest. I think a lot of people who get pushed into leadership, we get pushed in that direction because we are leaders, but then as soon as we sit in this seat, we're expected to be followers. Mm-hmm. And it, it it goes against our grain. Um, it, it makes us feel confused sometimes um, because, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm in this seat, I'm wearing this hat as a leader, but I'm within an institution that's giving me a script with just lines to read, like it almost can feel like, am I supposed to cash myself out to be what you want me to be, to be your, the face and the feet for you and and your vision, even if and when it doesn't align with what I've seen with my own eyes or heard with my own ears. And so you, you can start to really question yourself. Like, you know, I know that I was able to bear fruit, but now I'm in a position where I need to bear your fruit, institution, organization, whatever, and you're not very fruit-bearing, <laughs> so you're going to make me not. So how do you manage that? That, that, has been, um, that has been probably one of my biggest challenges is, you know, how do I find people within my organization, my broader organization? That's where the Good Trouble Principles Group came in. Like, how, how can I make sure... Um, you know, A, that I'm not going crazy, um, B, that I have a support system, and C, that I'm not, I'm not also blind. You know, I'm not, I'm not assuming that I know better because humility is so important. So that yeah. has been a challenge. Now, as far as my colleagues in the building is concerned, I've really found that as soon as they get a taste, see, no teacher goes into this work to fail. So mm-hmm. when you – when you take on the role of an educator, especially when you take on the role of an educator in, in African and Native American communities or, or, you're, or you're struggling with students that have been historically or, or generationally underserved and therefore their outcomes are poor, you, you can really struggle internally because you can start to think, I'm failing, right? Mm-hmm. Or then maybe you get to a spot where you realize, well, the system has failed these children and their families for generations, maybe even my own included but I'm just mm-hmm. one person. And so, you know, you're struggling with all these internal battles. When you get into a spot 
where you can start to feel some success, and that's what I feel like I can help provide. I've had some of the most in their last few years, about to be retired, you know, I don't know that I have it in me anymore, get new wins, new life, because they are seeing just the brilliance and the joy in spaces and places that they haven't seen it before. They feel respected as professionals. They feel empowered. They feel enlightened. They're leaning on each other. Their collegiality improves. And so when all of those things happen, I have found that there's really only a few that say this isn't for me. And when they say that, they just move around because they mm-hmm. see that the rest of the the rest of the waves are moving in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that that uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I get questions about that a lot, particularly uh, from my uh, my students and and others who want advice on how do I make this work when. Uh, they are, you know, the, the the conditions are so, or or such that um, this is not new. This is, you know, this is 40 years, a half of half a century of 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 failure on the part of external bodies to this community. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and so, what can I do? But also, uh, just wondering what what how can they get. Um, everybody on board and and from what i'm hearing from you yeah. is that 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 taste of success that taste of uh of making a difference uh really yeah. is addictive to a lot of people who are who are in uh education and i think you're right i think yeah. it it goes a long way to motivate them to give their all yeah. and i've seen i've seen that happen in a lot of places now you mentioned yeah. um, the, um, the the good trouble principles, um, and we and you know that and I, I from what I saw on the website that there are a group of principles in the Minneapolis area that are mm-hmm. um, that are part of this group. Um, what I what I was particularly struck by kind of the the, the mission, if you will of the group and mm-hmm. I'd love to hear more about um just kind of people buying into kind of a loosely affiliation saying mm-hmm. we are committed to serving students of color and decentering whiteness. What does that work actually mm-hmm. look like? Um because I do want to hear about the work you're doing um in Minneapolis North, but I I want to go back to kind of like the elementary school too is that mm-hmm. how do you how and how did you and how do you go about uh, that work of what you're saying serving students of color and decentering whiteness? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you some of the background to the group and then I'll take it into some practical application, um, kind of from how theory went into practice. So the first thing I would say is that the group is made up of self-identified, self-selected. Um, uh, principals and assistant principals in it started um, in the city of Minneapolis and then St. Paul and then our metro area. Our 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 focus is all children and and I know that um, there have been a number of campaigns um, against us, especially in the last six to nine months, um, who argue that our focus. And, and our declaration 
implies that we are we are only concerned about the academic success of children of color, and I would argue that um, that was a very that was a very purpose move on our part to not be only concerned mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. the academic success of students of color. In fact, if you if you read this statement, um, and uh, we've created a, a website just so people know exactly where we stand, um, mm-hmm. you will see the number of times that we focus on all children. The, the, the inspiration came from um, late Representative uh, John Lewis, who passed in the summer of 2020. And now you have to understand that here in Minneapolis, um, you know, not only were we experiencing COVID like the rest of the world was experiencing it, um, but we experienced the immediacy the local and and, um, immediate tragedy of the Memorial Day murder of George Floyd. Uh In fact, uh when I woke up the Tuesday after Memorial Day and looked at my phone, you know, I had no idea what I was going to find. Now, I will say that being, you know, just um, alive in America in 2020 was hard. Um, being black and alive in America, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. some of us felt like the oxygen was being pulled out. I mean, the year started with, um, uh, you know, just uh, tragedy after tragedy. Ahmaud Arbery, who's out for a run. Brianna mm-hmm. Taylor, who's mm-hmm. asleep in, 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 her, in her apartment or her condominium. I mean, it was just, you're in this, you're already in this hyper kind of um, vigilant triggered state. And so the first thing I saw in my phone was, um, you know, save this video before it gets deleted. And, and I think a lot of us, as, as, as uh, people of color in particular, um, you know, being, being black in America, have gotten used to this. You know, we, we have to have as much evidence as possible because the burden of proof is going to be on us. Okay. Mm-hmm. If there's right. if, if there's if there's a death amongst us, we're going to have to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right. And so, you know, we've just gotten into this mindset that any proof that we have, we all have to keep it. It 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 has to be undeniable. And so, the first thing I saw was, okay, so there's a video. Now I'm married to a, a police officer from Minneapolis Department, and um, we have interesting conversations, as I'm sure you can all imagine. Sure. And he. Um, he he uh, was recently retired, and he's just become my person because I can't watch, I, I can't watch those images. I just can't yes. do it. Right. So I gave him my phone and I said, you know, I don't know what this video is, but I need you, I need you to watch it because I feel like the first frame in the video that I'm looking at that looks like one of our police officers, and that was mm-hmm. something that I hadn't experienced. Mm-hmm. I had an experience looking at an image that looked like one of my own from one of my own mm-hmm. cities. My mm-hmm. husband came back in and, and, and told me that morning, he said, I, I just watched a murder on your phone. I packed up our youngest daughter and went over to 38th in Chicago, which is the intersection that, that George Floyd was murdered at the night before. And she and I just uh, knelt and prayed. And I knew in that moment that this was going to be a big deal. I knew that, that, that this could even be bigger than Rodney King and the L.A. riots, mm-hmm. And, in mm-hmm. fact, it, it ended up being so. And mm-hmm. so as we sat here, you know, through the summer of 2020, 
through the murder of George Floyd, the intimacy of that to us and to our students and their families, um, our police department that literally fled their own precinct that was burned down. I mean, it, it in John Lewis's um, uh, his service and, and see what he had done made me think we can do this. We can learn from his legacy and we can carry on his mantle. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a group of us just kind of got together and said, this is going to be um, the hardest work we've ever done in our lives. We're going to need each other. And as the word spread, you know, we just banded together. We drafted some language together. We said this is what we stand for, and this is how we're going to support each other. We heard from a number of school leaders in outstate Minnesota and across the country mm-hmm. who wanted the group to be national, and we decided we were just going to keep it, keep it amongst Um, And I can share more on that later if you'd Mm -hmm. like me to. But the language in the declaration really is about all children. Um, We focus on the actual today's anniversary um, of September 15th, 1963, and the Birmingham bombing of the four girls that were in Sunday school that morning. Because what what I think educators in America don't understand is that when it comes to race, what we call race, um, but really is colorism, right? When it comes to race or colorism, ethnicity, and children in our school system in America, that's where the rubber has really met the road. And mm-hmm. that, that's where the, the, the worst of who we are as Americans has really established itself and has strong footing in our educational system. And so we decided that we were going to release uh, uh, our statement on September 15th in 2020. So this mm-hmm. is actually, today is, our, today is our one-year anniversary. Absolutely. Wow. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, just looking at, um, at your website, I remember uh, seeing some of the, 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 the work that you commit to, mm-hmm. and it is absolutely commendable, um, where you're saying things like you're going to dismantle practices that reinforce mm-hmm. uh, white superior, uh, superiority, um, um, that you're going to do things like speak truth to power. Um, and so, right. uh, you know, that's, that's, um, that's well, let tough. Me give you an, let me right? give you an example. Um, let me give you an example, Brian. So when we say decenter whiteness, um, let me, I'm going to give you a prime example, okay? So mm-hmm. I know you and I know your followers are familiar with the discipline disparities in uh, schools across America. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, we sit down, we come together, we look at data, and, and we, we, we get told, A, what we already know, right, which mm-hmm. is, oh, my gosh, look at this. Black, black children are getting suspended at a X amount higher rate than white children, right? Very mm-hmm. reminiscent of the of the cocaine versus crack debate from the 90s, right? That's Where right. That's all right. of a sudden we realize, oh, my gosh, if you get caught with cocaine, you're getting three days. If you get caught with crack, you're getting three years. And, and then we connect race to it and economics and all these things, and we realize, whoa, we're a racist country, and we have racist reaction. But what, what, when we say decenter whiteness, this is what we mean. When you sit down and you look at data like that, whether it's the crack versus cocaine data of the 90s or the suspensions versus non-suspensions data of today, what do you do? So you go deeper. Say, okay, well, what, what is happening? Okay, well, we have a white child and a black child, and they engaged in the same behavior, 
and, uh, you know, the white child got a phone call home, and the black child got three days of suspension. And so when we, when we have that conversation, here's how we typically, at least in my city and state, go to solutions. We say, well, we just need to stop suspending black children. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're arguing is we just centered whiteness. Not because we don't need to stop suspending black children, but what we tend to immediately do is redirect, correct, change, modify, adapt. Based, we never want to disrupt the white child. Well, we're not going to do anything. Why don't we ever say we're going to start suspending white kids? Why isn't that the solution? And I'm not saying we should. I'm just saying that we do it so subconsciously. Sure. That rather than saying... Rather than saying, but why didn't why didn't that white kid get suspended? That white we our tradition in our city and state is that we we look at how we are going to do things differently for black children. We don't do the same for white children. We continue to leave white children completely untouched, mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. regulated at all times. We mm-hmm. have a, an integration um, law legislation in our state that says that you have to integrate your school, but only if your school is almost all kids of color. So in my district, my colleagues that have almost all white schools do not have to create an integration plan every year. But my school that has 90% kids of color does have to create an integration plan every year. And the message that that is sending is that that all white school is just fine exactly the way it is, but not that almost all black school. That's right. The the white. That's what we mean by decentering yeah, yeah. whiteness. Absolutely, absolutely. I understand. And it causes us to have a very different conversation that um, we we are historically not having around right. what we should be doing, rather than making decisions around what is the right thing to do. It is exactly right, we are the, the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is the right thing relative to? We are subconsciously, to? yeah, to white is right. That's and right. so the standard is whiteness, and therefore it is in the center of the conversation, and it mm-hmm. is rarely moved. And the rest of us are tap dancing around it to try and move children of color closer to the center. And that's not helping them. It is getting mm-hmm. into their psyche it is convincing them that they are not worthy and they are showing it in their daily academic and social outcomes. And so it's important that when we engage in these conversations, whether we're with each other, whether we're with our parents, whether we're with our, our higher ups, that we have our eyes and ears wide open. We are primed to call out and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what just happened there? Hold on, let's go back. Let's mm-hmm. go back. Time out. Yeah, we just yeah. assumed that that was right, and so that's what that's what our work has been this year. Excellent, excellent. That's well considered. Um, well, so Maury, I, I have just one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, as I told you, you know, the thirty minutes goes really fast, um, but I, <laughs> I do want to hold you over just a little bit to um, ask you. So now you're at the high school, um, yes, and I, I imagine you you are getting to see. A lot of the kids you had um, is it a is it a yes, feeder sir. school from okay that's great yes, so it you is. get to see a lot of those kids I'm sure that's that's a a, a welcome 
uh, visit you see your your old kids from your old school? Mm-hmm. Last year I had a senior who said, can you believe that you called my name at my at my elementary, you know, uh, fifth grade graduation, and you're going to call it, um, you know, my senior year. And so, and so, yeah, I'm sure that feels great. There is something. It's it's an amazing experience that I do not take lightly. It's wow. it's truly an honor that my families um, trust me with their babies. Awesome. Um, and so, how do you see the work? Um, impacting the families. Um, so now that you you get you know you you are in a rare situation where you get to see them on the other end. How do you see that work that you did with them impacting the families? Um, so I see it as trust first and foremost. You know, at our open house uh, just a, a few weeks ago with our incoming freshmen, the number of Lucy Laney families that came through. You know, mm-hmm. that, that joked with me that said, you know, here you go, take them back. They're all yours all over again. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a level of trust that was established. And, um, and, and they give you the benefit of the doubt, you know, especially you got to understand with black and native children in America, education has been a violent experience. And, um, and, and, and when you are able to say that I'm on the inside of this institution, but I'm with you and for you, then you're given the benefit of the doubt. So mm-hmm. when their kids come home and say, you know, I don't like the way this happened at school, and they know that you're there, they're like, it'll be fine. I'm mm-hmm. sure it'll be fine. Do you see the difference, Brian? Um, I absolutely. Huge. It's huge. And so yeah. I have their trust. Um, I have their, their love, and it's mutual, and um, and we feel like family. Excellent. What an excellent uh, role model you are for so many aspiring leaders in school building leadership out there. And, um, you know, we, uh, we're we going to keep following. And as I told you before we, we got on, you know, my work sometimes brings me to Minneapolis. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna let I'm you know it. when I'm coming to town, and I'm I'm definitely gonna come visit. Um, I love the work that you're doing. Uh, would love to see uh, more about what's happening. Uh, you're doing some great great stuff in uh, Minneapolis and in North thank Minneapolis. You. So uh, thank you so much for your work, and thank, thank you, you for Brian. being a part of this and and taking time out of your day. Um, and so until I see you, go well, stay well. You as well. Take care.